0: Welcome to Spacetime, a weekly podcast series exploring the modern world of space exploration. I'm Zach Hall, space reporter and founder of SpaceXplore.com, and this week we have a very special episode dedicated to NASA's flagship Mars 2020 mission. On Thursday, July 30th, 2020, NASA is sending its new Perseverance rover on a years-long mission to search for signs of ancient life on Mars. With the help of the European Space Agency, NASA will also support a future mission to retrieve Martian soil for analysis back on Earth. In this Mars 2020 edition of Space Time, we speak with Dr. Lori Glaze and Dr. Thomas Zerbukin of NASA. But first, let's meet Scott Masser, ULA Program Manager for NASA's Launch Service Program Missions. Due to current safety restrictions at Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral, Florida, these conversations were conducted outside. So expect a bit of nature to make an occasional appearance.
1: My name is Scott Messer. I'm the uh, program manager for NASA Launch Services launches uh, at United Launch Alliance, which is what that ULA stands for. Right. Mars missions are flagship missions for NASA. They, you know, this is a mission, as I was mentioning to, to Heather a minute ago. We've launched ULA or our heritage companies have launched every mission to Mars from the U S that's ever gone. And, uh, since, since 1960, that's 19 of them. And I personally have been involved in nine of those wow, 19. Yeah. This will be 10 uh, out of 20 so ULA, I think knows more about launching to Mars than anybody in the world. This Mars mission is going to go look at uh, geology, it's going to look at uh, sample return stuff, and uh, a lot of really exciting stuff. From my standpoint, my job is to make sure that at ULA we meet all of our technical challenges. So with the Mars mission, uh, you can only go to Mars every 26 months. So Atlas five is, uh, you know, this will be, I guess for ULA, our hundred forty 40th launch. We've had 139 successful launches. The Atlas has uh, a lot of different configurations by adding solid rocket motors to increase propulsion uh, power. And uh, so this is a 541, which means it's a five meter fairing on top. And then it's got four solid rocket motors on, attached to the booster. And we do that in order to Uh, optimize the performance and we don't end up with too much performance or too little performance it's um, hundred percent successful said great uh, we've had great experience it launched uh, we launched the Curiosity rover is the last uh, Mars mission that this vehicle launched but I mean between curiosity we've launched uh, a couple other missions like we launched insight last year from the west coast that was our first Mars mission launching from the west coast and uh, Atlas V has also launched uh, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, Maven. So it's had, um, the Atlas as a whole has had a, quite a history. Atlas V has launched five of those 19 Mars missions. Mm-hmm. And this 541 will have launched two of those five Mars missions. So
0: how does someone decide to be a launch program manager at ULA for NASA missions? This is how Scott describes his career path
1: when i was in college i started out as a civil engineer and i got interested in space structures so i thought it would be fun at that time to um become part of nasa or some part of a team that went up and built the first space structures in in space and then i got married and decided maybe i didn't really want to <laughs> didn't want to go to space but uh, At that point, I I applied for jobs and got a job with, uh, at the time, it was McDonnell Douglas, later became the Boeing company, worked in their technology division, and then went over to their launch vehicle division, and then uh, when Boeing and Lockheed Martin combined and became ULA, I I came to ULA, and uh, so I pretty much this is the only job I've ever had, and I I guess is witnessed by the fact that I've been around for nine of uh, 19 Mars missions. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this for a long time.
0: Scott's team at ULA is laser-focused on ensuring that the Mars 2020 mission meets NASA's requirements on launch day. So what does launch day actually look like for his team?
1: The launch team will come in about midnight okay, uh, loud, uh, on uh, Wednesday night, mm-hmm. Thursday morning. And uh, they'll Make, start making final preparations, uh, start terminal count. Uh, I'll get on to count or come in and start listening in about, uh, about the time we start terminal count, which is with, uh, about three hours, three and a half hours out, four hours, something like that. And um, my job is pretty much at at this stage of the game just to kind of sit and listen and make sure everything is uh, going right. right. Be available if something <laughs> needs to be worked but sure. in general the launch team is going to do it with or without me sure so
0: and even though the limited window to launch instruments from earth to mars only opens every 26 months scott's team prioritizes a safe mission over all other goals
1: one of our Focuses is is there's nothing more important than mission success at ULA. And so if you have to delay a day or two to figure out what's going on and make sure that you're right and you've met the requirements, that's what we do. Um, So that's what we've been focused on is making sure we're doing the right thing and we're going to be successful and we do it as close to on time as we can.
0: Next is our discussion with Dr. Lori Glaze, NASA's Planetary Science Division Chief who gives us a detailed rundown of what missions we can await after Mars 2020. One of the things I've been thinking about this week with Mars 2020 is, you know, if if somebody's like me and this is one of their their first major, you know, sort of of big space events, um, you kind of get to wondering when it's done, okay, now what? And so we've got the landing in February, but as I understand it, you are extremely well-versed on all things planetary and so um can you speak a bit about what are the other things going on after mars 2020 you know in in the next few years sure
2: i'd be delighted to do that (laughs) um yeah our our planetary portfolio when i look across all the things we're doing in planetary i just think it's so exciting It's, it's a wonderful time to be a planetary scientist because the the horizons are amazing that we're we're pursuing so as you say, Mars 2020 is going to launch in a couple days. It's going to launch on Thursday. I That's sense. right. Um, <laughs> weather looks good, so hopefully that will, will go well. The next big event, as you said, will be the landing in February, which is a really nail-biting, exciting uh, event, and that'll be great. And then it'll begin its science on the surface of Mars. The next couple of things we have in our queue are also really exciting and totally different. So the next one uh, in the queue is called DART, the Double Asteroid Redirect Test. And that is a mission that's going to launch uh, a year from now, next summer, 2021. It's a mission uh, in our planetary defense part of our portfolio. So planetary defense is a field where we're looking out in the sky, trying to identify near-Earth objects, comets and asteroids, that could potentially at some point um, intersect with Earth um, in a way that we wouldn't like very much. And so we're constantly uh, looking for them using Earth-based telescopes, and we're using uh, space-based telescopes to identify and characterize those near-Earth objects. We're also, as part of that program, developing concepts and ways, how would you actually mitigate? And if you knew far enough in advance, what could you do about it? Sure. So the DART mission is going uh, to take advantage of a unique opportunity that's going to happen in 2022 with a, uh, an asteroid called Didymos. It's actually a, a binary asteroid. It has a little moon, a main asteroid and a moon. All right. And it's going to be uh, coming not terribly close to Earth, but close enough that we can get there quickly. So we're going to launch in 2021 so that we can uh, rendezvous with Didymos and what we're going to do is test this redirection technique a kinetic okay. impactor where we're going to take the spacecraft and actually allow it to run directly into that small moon of didymos okay yeah okay so in this in this case our science begins when the spacecraft is destroyed right is the best wow. ever so we're going to observe it from earth yeah so not not observe <laughs> but we're going what we're going to look at is the the little moon that goes around the Primary asteroid. We hope to change its orbital period um, that it goes around. We'll be able to detect changes in that orbital period from Earth based observations. And we hope to change it um, on the order of about eight or ten minutes right. of that um, orbital period, which will help us uh, kind of calibrate ourselves on just how well we can with the spacecraft of that side and an object of this size. It's about 150 meters across okay. and a half football field. We're gonna test that technique. All right. Super exciting, <laughs> really cool. We also have in 2021 um, our Lucy mission. Okay. And Lucy is a mission to go visit seven asteroids that are trapped in Jupiter's orbit, the All Trojan right. asteroids. And so they are in the leading and trailing orbits of Jupiter. We're going to visit different types of asteroids that we can tell are different compositionally. Uh, It'll help us understand, you know, how they got there. Did they form there? Or did they originally start there in uh, in that part of the solar system? Mm -hmm. Or are they brought in from other parts of the solar system and trapped by Jupiter? We may be able to tell if Jupiter actually its orbit has evolved over time and Mm -hmm. actually picked up these asteroids on various parts of its journey. Right. So the asteroids may tell us a bit about that as well. So super exciting (laughs) mission there again. Looking at asteroids that can tell us, um, hopefully, about some of the earliest parts of our solar system and how it, right. how it evolved. Um, I should also mention, and Alana may be able to help me with the date here, if it's 22 or 23, is when OSIRIS-REx, which is a current mission mm-hmm. visiting another asteroid, okay. Bennu... They are going to be collecting a sample of that asteroid this fall in okay. October, October, which is another exciting event. They're oh, cool. going to touch and grab, touch and go, grab a sample of the soil from the surface of Bennu, and I think it's 2023. Mm-hmm. Correct me when they're going to be coming back to Earth. All right, coming back into our atmosphere to deliver that sample. Right. Um, and samples are the gift that keeps giving right. because we can analyze them in our incredible laboratories here for decades to come and. They're
0: just... It's a big part of why March 2020 is exciting, right? Which is a huge part of why 2020 is so
2: exciting. (laughs) Right. So that's coming up as well. Yeah. And then i'm just going to give you one more sure there's a whole slew more is, <laughs> it, is it is it psyche Psyche is the because, next one. because
0: as these things make news then i tend to learn about them yeah from december on and if right. they're before december then it takes something special for me to kind of run upon it right and so psyche is one that's made news recently and, yes. and so, I've, so i So Psyche's upon it. the next
2: one with the launch in 2022 cool. and they're going to a really unique asteroid that we think is a metallic asteroid right so it's very unusual these aren't terribly common There was a a potential when the mission was proposed that it might be an exposed iron core of a pre-planet type um, object. There's been a lot of new studies recently, and now there's question and debate about that. But the one thing that's not debatable is we are going to learn something new when we get there because we don't know what it is. Right. It's going to be super cool.
0: Yeah. Something I'm picking up from from a lot of these missions is the idea that um, you've got a set of objectives, but when you get there you learn something that you didn't Mm -hmm. know you were going to learn so you kind of go for new questions that you wouldn't know to ask
2: exactly and that's what science is all about right right? we use the best of our understanding that we have today to formulate some really good questions and to formulate these are the type of instruments the type of observations we need Mm -hmm. in order to test these questions that we know we have right and then we get there and we go wow this is really different now we have all new questions which
0: makes sense being this early on the cusp of things right yeah yeah,
2: absolutely Mm -hmm. so it's uh that's what science is all about that's awesome so let me just give you one more thing out in the future cool um and that is uh one of the next big things on our horizon uh, two of them are actually a trip uh, a mission to europa Mm -hmm. a moon of jupiter of course and the mission to titan uh, which is called dragonfly Mm -hmm. so Europa clipper and dragonfly right also super cool missions um, going to, uh, these exciting moons that are potentially currently, um, environments that could support life, um, you know, in their oceans and in the water. Right. Right. So, That's very awesome. Very cool.
0: Um, quick, quick last thing. So, mm-hmm. um, I have a daughter, she's seven. Mm-hmm. Her name is Emily. Mm-hmm. And, she, uh, as I get excited about this stuff, mm-hmm. she just takes it on too. Uh-huh.
3: Um,
0: and so, but, you know, how, how do you kind of get to where you are and, and what kind of motivates you and do you have like heroes, for example? Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and I'll tell you that uh, 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 all the women that I always uh, engage with, and we were always frequently asked, you know, yeah. what was the most important thing that kind of took you along your path? And I think you'll get a common answer from almost every single woman. And you probably would from others that are uh, minorities or less represented sure. um, uh, groups within in any discipline, right? right? And that is having a really... Good mentor. Sure.
0: Oh, sure. Searching
2: yeah. out and finding that person that is really going to be there and support you and, and provide the guidance and help you along the way. I think every every uh, successful um, underrepresented person can point to a handful of people that really help them along their right. way. My one of my my first mentor was my mother.
0: Okay. Yeah. Who was
2: an aeronautical engineer? She actually graduated um, in 1960 with an aeronautical shows, engineering degree. Yeah. Uh, one of four women in a class of several hundred at Kansas University. I always found that inspiration. she was a great mentor. And then I had several really strong mentors um, in my early, uh, both my schooling and in my professional career. male mentors, but people who I I worked well with. They were hugely supportive, helped me to um, get the experiences I needed, helped me in writing papers and writing proposals, and and really helped along the way. And and that's just absolutely critical.
0: I love that. That's that's very usable for everybody. Thank you so much.
2: You betcha. It's my pleasure.
0: NASA's Perseverance rover and Mars 2020 mission is all science and discovery. And joining us next is astrophysicist Dr. Thomas Zurbuchen. NASA's Associate Administrator for Science Mission Directorate.
3: I'm uh, what they call the Associate Administrator for Science, or is basically in charge of the whole science program. That includes planetary, Earth, astrophysics, uh, heliophysics, which is the sun and the space between the planets, and then space bi- space-based biology and uh, physical sciences. Uh, the total of all that is roughly seven point three billion bucks if you add it all up. So that's so. So, after top responsibility of that, you know, uh, Laurie Glaze, you may or may right. not have met, uh, it would be one of my direct reports, and she runs all of Planet. Turner. Yeah, we just we just dive lightning together. Yeah, she is amazing, <laughs> and, and, and so uh, so I need to say so are the other directors. I uh, might uh, work before us. So I'm a I'm a PhD astrophysicist who. Uh, basically built some space instruments Okay. and I always love flirt- flirting with the boundary between science and engineering so I actually build instruments that were in, have have been flying in space or uh, you know did fly in space for example part of the messenger mission to Mercury I built an instrument and so forth and uh, I was a university professor University of Michigan and mm-hmm. I joined NASA uh, approximately four years ago, mm-hmm. in this job. Cool. Um, for this
0: specifically, for Mars 2020, um, can you sort of speak to the uh, international aspect of it? So it's 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 NASA's mission, um, but there's certainly a community uh, effort in terms of you know the whole world watches, and then also sure. the, the input that goes on.
3: I think the one thing that has always been part of NASA. And I believe the United States in general is that leadership and partnership are not opposing values. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yet here also, of course we're leading it, uh, we're the only country who's really done many of those things.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But we have three instruments that are largely European-led. We have subsystems that we built and got in Europe, uh, we have uh, hundreds of scientists who are in Europe. Who are part of the team overall, or will be part of the uh, team that looks at the, the data? Science is truly an international activity, so so that's very natural to us. Uh, if you looked at pretty much any science uh, mission, some missions are even more uh, international, some a little bit less, but they all have international elements in part. Science is just uh, when we look at the sky we look at it together generally. Right. It's a commonality between cultures and languages. It's all shared. Exactly right. It's, it's almost like I was just arguing earlier. It's, there's some activities that truly transcend boundaries, sports, right. science. Uh, there's few, mm-hmm. and so I, I, I'm a strong believer of that.
0: That's awesome.
3: Um, one thing I heard
0: you mention earlier today is that um, part of, of what's fascinating about something like Mars 2020 and, and, and previous Mars missions Uh, specifically is you you go in with a certain set of um, sort of goals that you're trying to work toward Mm -hmm. you know you're trying to answer a a few specific questions Mm -hmm. but what comes out is that you um, find that you find questions you didn't know you had Mm -hmm. and that drives the next mission so and and that's true of perseverance right?
3: I'm a strong believer it will be it will be right I mean so perseverance is is in many ways a, a surprising mission like that because you know you know, the previous missions, you know, like, go back to Spirit and Opportunity, it was all about water, like, would there have been water, you know, Curiosity then came in and did unprecedented and detailed analysis with the payloads, and it's like, heck, this is way more exciting, way more interesting, way more, you know, the organic molecules, way more complex, you know, so you immediately say, well, okay, so there's two options you could use. The first one is you build a life detection lab and fly it well we don't know how to do that frankly Mm -hmm. we have we have some life detection instruments but we're spending a lot of money right now in in lori's uh, lori glazer's shop right on research and development on some of these new uh, technologies however our labs here on earth are well ahead so the right way to go is, is to actually bring the bring the samples back instead of bringing instruments there, you you know, and and Mars is close enough in the neighborhood to do that. So that's what really drove that as a top priority. Mm -hmm. It was not internal NASA, it really, uh, within the science community uh, of the United States, within the national academies, but also, uh, you know, then of what's possible with NASA technology. That's Mm -hmm. what became
0: the top priority. Mm And and the, the landing spot for Perseverance uh, what's significant about that.
3: So Cheshire crater. So so there are four landing spots that came to me, and let me just tell you, Cheshire crater is the most promising one and also the toughest to land. Okay, so I chose it uh, because so it's, of it's high risk, high reward. In the, yeah, in it's high case. risk, high reward. Yeah. No, well, so it's not high risk if. Terrain relative navigation works. Okay. So actually what I did, if you looked at it, I chose the so I chose the Cheshire crater with a caveat and says you need to pass an extra gate. I don't know what you he heard. He made fun of me. Well, <laughs> he pointed out that I needed to see a lot more detail.
0: Yeah.
3: Well, that's why. <laughs> because uh, the we wouldn't if terrain relative navigation doesn't work, the likelihood of failure was too high. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so yeah, so so we trust the engineering team. Right, we trust the engineering team. That's exactly what we did, and we're ready uh, to uh, you know go do that. The, the work has been done. All the right. technologies has been done. Chesro Crater is kind of a river uh, delta. So it's kind of from our research, both from Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, but also from the rovers on the bottom. We realized that those are. Places uh, by the way on Earth, if you wanted to go see life, that's where you would go. Right. Remember, that's where the, I mean, you know, the, a, a lot of the fossil record is in, in these places where uh, standing water and moving water interact. Uh, the other thing that's really interesting about Chesrow Crater is it it has a lot of geologic units together. So within driving distance, we find a lot of different samples. Mm-hmm. Right, so so sometimes you can. You have a parking lot, right? So it's easy to land, but it's like it's one thing. So take a, a sample done. Okay, what what's next? Well, drive one mile. What's that wow, that that's a waste. Yeah. <laughs> so this is different. So it's right. it's a lot of things uh, close together. So it's a crater, as this uh, has this uh, river delta and a lot of uh, layers, geologic layers there. Mm-hmm. So so that's that's what makes it special.
0: Okay. A um, couple of questions, and, and uh, I'll, I'll let you go. Um, first one is about outreach. So, um, uh-huh. you know, your, your presence—I yeah, I see you around a lot in terms of following NASA. Um, when you tweet from your account, go, I go—I have an alert because it's, oh, it's, that's cool. it's, it's, it's yeah. something that that you know yeah. is important. Um, so, so sort how do you, how do you view outreach? What's your outreach goals um, in, in communicating things to the public, okay. to generations?
3: So. I'm a strong believer of the value of science for society overall, but also for individuals. Uh, I'm a scientist because I love nature.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I, I find not only the love of nature but the importance of nature. It feels to me when I look at the night sky, it's more important than me. Mm-hmm. You know, it sure. feels it feels it feels beautiful and it feels important. Mm-hmm. I think every child on earth should have that experience and and kind of and also learn about these amazing things that we're learning here and be part of it
1: Mm
3: -hmm. and uh, my communication goals are to enable that that I went to social media not because I wanted many followers I went to social media because I felt there's a community there Mm -hmm. that do not read the New York Times and it's really important that we talk to them They're as important or more important to the future Mm-hmm. Of all of us, and especially this, also the space program, and uh, many of the people who read the New York Times—nothing against the New York Times, of sure, course—at sure. all. I, I read both, but but that's why I'm doing so. For me, it's really about the communication goals. Right. For NASA, it's not just about the mission; it's communicating the mm-hmm. mission. And yeah. so for me, that belongs together. For science, communication is a part of our mission. It's yeah. not just icing on the cake it's part of the cake
0: sure I like the idea that um, that, that, that all knowledge shouldn't stop with you it should pass through
3: yes absolutely mm-hmm. I, exactly right you, you yeah. said it very well yeah so that that's that's what I'm, I'm passionate about and right. and I really like lo- you know I love kind of new ways of communicating sure. you know whether it's through uh, uh, the kind of work that you do as well as others right, right. Kind of really taking what they get from our work and Mm-hmm. telling their own story i love science as a pursuit of people right not just ideas it's people like kind of people who struggle they have weaknesses but they come together and do it anyway mm-hmm. so for me that's what i love sure. that's why it's called perseverance you know
0: that's right uh finally uh i get the sense that 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 your hobbies are your work that it's all the same because this is what you're passionate about um that's kind of the case for me
3: is that i can work 24 7 and it doesn't feel like work um <laughs> uh, what do you do for fun Oh, I I love uh, being outdoors in winter. I love skiing. Mm-hmm. I, I I would live on skis if I could in winter. Sure. and If I could work, I love uh, running outdoors or hiking. I love you know uh, the you know uh, see. So I spend a lot of break, almost every day I do that. And then of course I spend a lot of time with my family, whatever I can. Right. Uh, but you're right. I, spent a lot of uh, hobby time on science, so I thought like I get with this go time I got hooked. So I learned a lot about the history of the tectonic plates for okay. example. It's like I love that stuff. Right. Right? It's like, wow, how <laughs> cool is that? I wanna know more. Yeah.
0: And have you so, ha- have you ran uh ha- ha- have you run races when, when you run Oh
3: yeah, yeah. I've run many races. Uh, so. have you run marathons and tank and yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, there's um a, a marathon and a half marathon where I live in Biloxi, which is really close to Stennis Space Center oh, wow. in Mississippi. And so for three years, I've gone there and ran a half marathon, cool. and um, never really, you know, knew what the space center did. And then uh, in January I got to, or February, I got to go out there for the state of NASA nice. um, with Administrator Biden, speaking, and, and got to see Core stage on the test stand. And um, now, it, now it kind of changes the way I view that race.
3: Yeah, that's cool. So gearing up for the marathon now yes
0: wow. <laughs> that's
3: right i
0: am this year it's gonna be the first yeah. time i do a marathon after i've done seven
3: half so far so it's time oh yeah it's ready to go yeah Not once mm-hmm. you can do a half it's that's the marathon. right fine it's just just persevering that's right through the pain
0: i love that the last one i feel like i could have kept going so that's when it clicked that i need to yeah you need to, I need to dial it out man yeah awesome well this hey, was thanks a for your
3: interest i uh, yep. really appreciate your uh, work and uh thanks for being here all okay.
0: right thanks so much
3: cool thanks
0: NASA's Mars 2020 mission is only just starting. Over the next several months, NASA scientists will prepare for the Mars rover Perseverance's upcoming Mars landing, happening in February 2021. Then the next decade of Mars research kicks off, including answers to questions about how helicopters can fly on Mars, if they even can, what evidence supports signs of ancient life on Mars, and discoveries that reveal new questions that we haven't even thought to ask yet. Special thanks to NASA's Kennedy Space Center and United Launch Alliance for this special Mars 2020 edition of Space Explorer's Space Time Podcast. If you enjoy Spacetime, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Spotify to hear new episodes every week. Thanks for listening, and see you all next week.